Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers, with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kirk Damon. Today's episode is sponsored by Kroger and Dorfman Laundry and Housekeeping Services. Whether you create a mess or clean up after one, we'll be there. And welcome back to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy with your host, Ben Siders. That's me. And the other guy is, as always, Kirk Damon. That's Kirk, as in the caption of the Enterprise. We're up to episode 24. That's 24. crazy. Oh no, what are we on? 27? It's more than that, yeah, 27. 27. <laughs> Somehow I've missed a couple of episodes. <laughs> We've just done that much content. Uh, so we're, it's uh, the week after the 4th of July. How was your 4th? It was cool. What did so, you guys do? Uh, we did the usual sort of, you know, set off home fireworks, you know, yeah. be pyromaniacs. Uh, are fireworks legal where you live? Well, they're not where we where I live, but they're where my brother-in-law lives. We let them off, So yeah. we can go and, and set them off over there. It was great, actually. The neighbors have young kids, so they were setting them off, too. I got to see all sorts of really cool stuff. That is fun. We went to Minnesota to see my family up there. Uh, the kids went boating, and uh, I went around sitting on the boat while they went boating. <laughs> and uh, uh, Yeah, it was a good time. We uh, My neighborhood, though, has this problem where people start celebrating the 4th of July around the second week of June. <laughs> and it's just nonstop fireworks going off It's because that's summer. when the fireworks stands go up. So I know. Well, buy them. And, and where I live, they're not actually, most of them aren't legal. Some are. But we are right on the edge of St. Peter's and Cottleville. And they're legal in Cottleville and not in St. Peter's. Okay. So there's a million stands right around where we live, and they're very easy to get a hold of. And people are very enthusiastic about their fireworks. <laughs> well, we get some pretty big ones here, too. I mean, Missouri gets some pretty hefty you know, fireworks they're and loud. stuff like, like that. So. On the night of the 4th, man, you go outside, and it's like walking into a war zone. It's just, it sounds <laughs> it like be, mortar yeah. fire in the distance. It's crazy. Well, today's uh, episode topic is... Uh, themed themed events, themed costume parties, themed weddings, yep. toga parties, trivia nights, things like that. We're moving from what we we talked about. We were going to do as future events. We weren't able to get Charlotte back in, sort of. But we uh, we had this idea and actually thought this would be a really fun sort of. Um, thing to talk about and then actually it's going to flow into our next episode too we sort of saw some progression here so I think that's yeah. the idea of what we're going to try to do so yeah and the, the my original genesis for this idea I haven't mentioned this to Kirk yet but what got me thinking about this was uh, when Star Wars episode 2 I think it was came out uh, I think it was Conan O'Brien or somebody like that had triumphed the insult comic dog mm-hmm. uh, go to the long lines of fans for waiting to get in <laughs> I remember this start that harassing was hilarious <laughs> it was so funny but it was like a, like a couple Couple got married, like in line, waiting to see episode <laughs> two, and which you know, as an aside, I could have seen that for episode one before we had all been fooled, you know. <laughs> but but like in episode two, we all should have had a little more of a cautionary well, hat on at that I point. I think we were hoping episode two. Well, I think we were expecting that episode two could not be worse than episode one. Isn't it? That's exactly right. I'm like, well, maybe episode one will just you know, like every movie's got that one bad one, you know, the one bad season or the one bad episode. And I thought that episode one, he's just getting back. It'll just be that one bad one. I had no idea. It, it would actually get worse. Before no, it got I, I don't think episode two got worse than episode one, quite frankly. I, I actually didn't mind episode two. There are parts of it that are like, okay, yes, they're long, they don't make any sense, and things like that. But overall, I thought episode two was a better movie than episode one. I think episode three is a better movie than episode two Episode as well. two was a better screenplay. It may have been more poorly directed, though. Um, that I would not disagree with, yeah. yeah. I think episode two has, unfortunately, some of the lines I think are very they're very real lines, and I think they're very accurate as to what but people would have been They're written like a 60-year-old man trying to capture youthful romance. Youthful romance, uh, A yeah. 60-year-old divorcee who's probably still a little bitter about that, which is the legend is that's why he waited so long to make those episodes. <laughs> is his divorce agreement had to run out so his uh, ex-wife wouldn't get any of the money. I also saw my wife, uh, my wife and my son, sent me a meme the other day, uh, and it was like uh, one of those did-you-know things. Yep. And it said, uh, in the filming of episode two, um, Christian, uh, Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman 
decided to play a prank on George Lucas where they would pretend that they'd never acted before and Lucas loved it so much he kept it throughout the entire film. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little disturbing. Um, There there are some painful scenes. I think the big thing you really notice and what you really notice is you watch like episode two and you watch Natalie Portman's acting. Then you watch Closer. Yeah. And you watch Natalie Portman's acting and go, Natalie Portman can really act. Well, Hayden Christensen's not a terrible actor. He just had dialogue that was hard to work with. And I think it just felt like Lucas was like, okay, uh, you know, action and then cut. And okay, we're going to keep it no matter how bad it was. And we'll, we'll work on it in post, you know? Yeah, exactly. It just, it just felt so rushed. And, you know, the I think the screenplay could have worked, but there was not a lot of chemistry between the actors. And uh, the, the romance was just yeah, so well, poorly set up. And I think the problem you really bumped into with the romance is they basically sort of hit that it was supposed to be a romance that had existed since they last met. But they hadn't seen each other which, in like seven years. Yeah, and, and the problem was they were way too young to have had any sort of yeah. interest in romance at that point in time or to even necessarily have understood what it was. And I think it was, we were talking at one point in time and I think it was an accurate statement. They would have done a lot better if they would have sort of just moved on from episode one and said kind of, hey, there we're both different people now. Let's move on with this idea of what's happening yeah. now that we're meeting. And you really could have done, I mean, you take the initial scene that they have on Coruscant, you know, her saving his life, sorry, him saving yeah. her life. And that's all effective. They set him up as caring about her, yeah. uh, you know, and, she, and she's, you know, a little charmed by that. But then they make him this creepy weirdo, yeah. you know? And then <laughs> he's, like, there's never a point where he does anything where I'm, or if I, when I look at the plot, I'm like, well, that's why she fell in love with him. Like, oh, Annie, that, you know, the time you slaughtered all the same people. Yeah, exactly. That's when I knew I loved you. Like, well, it never makes any sense. Again, they set it up like she's always been in love with him, and that just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the, it would have made much more sense for it to have been something where it's the, they could have even said it, quite frankly, as while you were gone, you know, you sent me these messages, you know, I liked, you yeah, know, but there was nothing. There was just nothing set up with that. And, and again, I think the, I think you're right as to what it was. I think you have a, a reasonable screenplay. I think it's they were a bit hampered by episode one and the fact that yep. Anakin's so much younger in episode one. I think the new which makes that whole movie kind of pointless. Like nothing really happens in that movie that you need for episode two. It's just the same yeah. movie all over again. Yeah, and that I think that's what you bump into. And like I said, one of the scenes that I always commented about it. I think it's the best one is sort of the 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 first scene when they're about to go out to the gladiator combat, and you know Natalie Portman's yeah. basically saying this whole like I've always loved you, it's okay, you know, sort of things like that. It's one of those things where the comment I made with that is I said. It's that's like a teenage boy, sort of almost like you know, dream dialogue yeah, as to what it yeah. is. And it's it's not that it's a bad scene. It's just that it doesn't work. No, it's, it, the, the dialogue's a little. I don't know, it's too juvenile. To, it, it's yeah. too you know that, that kind of thing sort of with it. And that but that's was, the best scene of the whole movie, though. Like they take away the lightsabers, and we just have to like have interesting fights that don't involve laser swords. Yeah, well, and the, the whole fighting with the gladiatorial creatures is is fun, and the fact that she's got you know she's fighting with them, and she's being very inventive, mm-hmm. and like things like that. I mean, the scene where he does it is the like how's she gonna be? And he like turns around, he's already halfway up the yeah. pole, you know, and stuff <laughs> like that. Those are the kind of things that I think is they, they really did a good job with and that's again part of the reason I like episode 2 better I think a lot than episode 1 is those scenes fit better they actually carry out some character development like that they give her some character development of the fact that she's you know resourceful she's very creative um which you'd sort of seen in episode 1 with her you know no really I'm my bodyguard you mm-hmm. know those kind of things but there's there's so many sort of plays off of Natalie Portman's character and Queen Amidala that they they just 
could have done really well. Yep. And unfortunately, either didn't get to or, or they wrote around the script or just have dialogue that's a little rough. And again, those are the things where I think you've got that. And there's a few too many that are also just a bit too campy. I mean, the, the droid factory being the, the 50s example. diner scene with the, the weird alien with the four arms. Like, yeah. The, the whole like Camino subplot was un, like didn't make any sense. So, so Jango Fett is a bounty hunter who hires another bounty hunter to try to assess what? Yeah, what, exactly. what, what, what he just do it himself that's his job <laughs> well but you sort of get the impression no wait that's set up and again I think they were trying to get at the idea that like the emperor was much deeper in this yeah and you know this had it, been set up for a long time but again it never quite gets there all the movies seem to set into place some really complicated political plot and when you get to the end there's really nothing to it it's just like it's like George sat down and just wrote a scene and then was like okay so what should happen next and he just yeah. writes the next scene and there was no I didn't feel like it was ever storyboarded like there was some overarching this is how it's going to work because yeah. a lot of what the characters do in the entire first trilogy just or by a uh, uh, prequel trilogy I should say not to be confusing uh, doesn't seem to be in service of their own goals yeah uh, just, and that's uh, the Camino is a good example I think the Camino like Camino is actually kind of a cool concept of a planet yeah. I liked the idea of this being the setup of the Clone Wars who ordered the droid army yeah it's, I still don't know who ordered the droid army who ordered the, the, the clone army you, you sort of bump into these things where it's like did the Emperor do both of this? Is that the yeah. whole idea? Is and then later they have a vote to authorize the creation of the army, but somebody already did it. Yeah. I, I don't get it. Yeah, it's and that's, I think, the thing with it is it's there's there's a lot of good concepts in episode two that just didn't play out. I think yeah. episode one lacked good concepts. It just it just was, you know, sort the of the entire trilogy badly needed an editor who had the the reputation and the, the chutzpah to tell yeah. Lucas, some of these ideas are crappy, need to go, but I can tell you all the ones that are good need yeah. to stay. And like, I think in some sense you saw that a little bit with episode three. Like episode three, because it has a much more distinct plot of sort of the down fall. Yeah. I think episode three flowed much better. It worked it was better. the best of the movies, I think, without any question. But it's also, as people said, the great thing about episode three is, you know, it's Titanic. At the end, the ship's going to yeah. sink, and we all know it. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is all a long roundabout way to say that uh, prior to the release of episode two, Conan O'Brien and Triumph the Insult Dog uh, mocked all <laughs> the fans in line. They brought, like, a, a Spock impersonator out who walked out and, like, <laughs> yes. flipped, flipped them all off. <laughs> Which, if you haven't seen it, I think you can still get that on, like, YouTube or on yeah, the other sites. Google, that is hilarious. Google Triumph the in- Comic Insult Dog and then Star Wars. I'm sure it's out there. It is so funny. Uh, but there's, there's a scene in there where a couple gets married, I think, yeah. uh, it, while in line, and everybody's wearing their Jedi costumes and banging like their lightsaber, plastic lightsaber they walk through together. And, yeah. Yeah. and I got to think, we're thinking about that and how, you know, we, we, there are these themed parties. I mean, there's, like, toga parties, sort of the old you know, 1970s yeah. standby. But uh, themed parties, themed Halloween parties, themed even office parties are becoming uh, pretty commonplace. Yep. And we thought there's actually a lot of legal issues working there that overlap to some extent with the cosplay episode we did, but uh, also some different uh, issues too. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about um, some of those. Yeah, and I think the real key about this, what we're really focusing on, is the concept of sort of private costume parties. Yep. Obviously, there are, you know, formal events that are done by, you know, large organizations, stuff like that. Our guess is most of these are probably licensed, and this is a non-issue. Like a but, Star Wars convention. You yeah, can assume dressing convention. up as a Star Wars character, nobody cares. Yeah. You know, those types of things sort of with it. But even, you know, like large theme nights that are put on by professional organizations mm-hmm. are probably licensed events. You know, a lot of times they have licensed merchandise that's sold as part of them. What we're really talking about here is kind of private events, and we're talking one step 
set beyond cosplay. So we talked about the idea of like, hey, you're allowed to make your costume, you cosplay it at a convention. This is now you and all of your cosplay friends are getting together as part of your wedding mm-hmm. or as part of a party that's put on or some like major event that's being put on that has a lot of people involved with it, but isn't necessarily something that's got any association with Lucasfilm. It's basically completely private. And then usually adding to the complication level of this, especially for like a wedding or a birthday party or something like that, you've probably got somebody filming it or filming part of it. Yeah. And you've probably got somebody wanting to put that on Facebook or YouTube. And this is where we're getting into the interesting legal issues here and where we really want to sort of, I think, t- dive into the meat of this, which is at all of these types of events, it's not just a private event when we're talking to this level. You are now dealing with professional service providers, one of which is the venue, um, another one of which is going to be, you know, filming, videotaping, anything along those lines, um, and dealing with that in service providers. And then the next stage is going to be the fact that these are events that are also sort of commonly shared now. And we have sort of the interface with social media and that we now have, instead of this being, again, you dressing up as, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi and running around your house, you're dressing up as Obi-Wan Kenobi and getting married. And so all of your friends are posting video of this up mm-hmm. on YouTube, up on social media sites. So you've got a much broader reach um, as to whatever it might be. And you're, again, interfacing with sites that potentially have issues in conjunction with these things, YouTube being a notable example. Yeah, and and when I was looking into, I kind of, to prepare for this episode, I just did a quick Google search for, you know, legal issues involving, you know, costumed events. Just curious if I was missing anything. I couldn't find much of interest. I did find one lawyer, though, who offered this quote on his blog in response to somebody's question about, uh, you know, can I get in trouble for cosplaying? And here's what he said, quote, Dressing up as Batman isn't going to get you sued for copyright infringement, end quote. Kirk, I think you and I would probably generally agree with that. I think I'd practically agree with that. I think I'd agree that the odds of somebody coming after you is very, very small. I yep. think it's not quite accurate because it's, as you know, most lawyers would say, is it's it's a little too definite. Yeah. I think the answer is, is dressing up as Batman probably isn't going yeah. to get you sued for copyright as a practical infringement matter. as a practical matter. Yeah. You know, could it get you sued for practical for copyright infringement? Yes, it could. Have you seen Bat Dad? The, 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 the guy that used to be on Vine, there's like the six seconds videos where he, if you haven't seen this, just Google like best of Bat Dad. It's just some dude in like Pennsylvania or Ohio or something. I don't know where he's yep. at. But uh, he has a Batman mask and he occasionally wears it and then, you know, attacks his family like he's Batman. There's a scene where like there's a bug in his counter and he goes, who sent you? <laughs> uh, it's just, it's so absurd, but it's so funny. And like his passion for making light of this stuff is yep. is, is really funny. It's so. one of the best humor and sort of use of it that I think is out there. Again, I think you can find this on YouTube is what it is, is the guy who does Doom at Home. Doom at Home. Uh, I think it's Doom at Home or whichever, I can't remember if it's Doom at Home, Duke Nukem, whichever character he is, but he basically does like a dad as like the first person shooter, so you see his <laughs> hands, and one of the best scenes in it is he like walks up to his his, his son, and the son's like, dad, I need milk for my for my cereal, and you see his hands like jump back, and it comes back, and it's like orange juice, and you see his hand jump back, and it like, <laughs> comes back, and it's like spoon, and then you see his hand jump He's back. He's going to the inventory. Yeah, and then you see it pop back, and you see him cock, and it's like Glock 9 millimeter, and then you see it pop down, and it pops up milk. Okay, this is just awesome. And he it's stuck at a curb because he can't he can't go over the curb without jumping. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like not going because there's no jump button in Doom. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so this uh, this guy had a second quote. He says, quote, the essence of copyright infringement is whether your use of someone else's intellectual property is financially harmful to that person, whether you're taking money out of their pockets, end quote. Would you agree with that one, Kirk? Uh, no. No, no. No. That's... I think this is probably a, pr- a pretty reasonable pat summary for a, for a layperson to give, um, but the essence of copyright infringement is whether you've infringed. Yeah. And and the fact that you've either cost the money or hasn't is a measure of the damages that would be involved, not whether you've yeah. infringed. I think it's also a measure of the, of the likelihood of anything occurring out yeah. there. 
part yeah. of it. Which and I think is what he's practically of the fact that a lot of copyright seems to follow the money. Yeah, I think that's what he's trying to say is, you know, I think he's trying to give people the advice, don't worry about it unless you're somehow costing people money or making money on your own, which is not really what the law says. Yeah. But we keep saying follow the money, like Kirk said. As a practical matter, you know, you're not going to sue somebody over every last little thing you yep. could possibly sue them for. There are a lot of infringements that happen day in and day yep. out that just aren't worth pursuing. There are also, quite frankly, a lot of these companies actually have licenses out there that they've already said, you know, is like, you're doing any of the following things are perfectly acceptable. I yeah. know LucasArts has a, a, a license already out there. I think related to some fan fiction and stuff like that. Yeah, a lot of them have like you a know, fan policy. I don't know policy. what Disney has. Yeah. It's things like that. Disney's usually a little more tightly controlled, yeah. so they may have reined that in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but there are definitely also artists, and I think Anne Rice is the one that's most well-known for Interview with the Vampire, that have pretty much said no. Um, you know, you can't use any of this mm-hmm. and and stuff like that. But it's it, the other problem you really bump into is we can look at this and say, you know, practically, where is this? The answer to it is, is where's the line? You know, you mm-hmm. bump into the idea and say, hey, and I think what it looks like you bump into is I want to make an online comic that uses somebody's thing with it. The vast majority of places are like, that's fine. We're fine yeah. with online comics. Blue Milk Special, but, one of your favorites. Yeah, is yeah, a Star Wars, Special, which I love. Star Wars webcomic. I'm, I'm sure they don't have any licenses or anything from Lucas. Yeah, but the issue with it is, is that if you're then trying to want to make a print book out of it, it bumps into to different copyrights. We saw and, that with the Harry Potter with thing yeah. where they had the, we had a couple episodes ago, there's a Harry Potter sort of a compendium website that had everything there is to know about the Harry Potter universe and nobody cared until they wanted to print a book. Yeah. And okay, well now you're competing with the actual Harry Potter books and then all the rules kind of change. Yeah, and, and I think that's the thing you really bump into and that's what we're kind of getting at with this episode is where does these where do these rules change? Yeah. And, and that's the issue with it is. You know, again, I think the, the quote there is, you know, dressing up as Batman, you know, if you dress up as Batman and run around your house, you're probably fine. Yeah. But if we now get to the, we're now doing this in a public event, and we're doing it in a public event where it's being encouraged, it's part of the appeal of the event. You know, yeah. theme weddings is part of the appeal of the event. And then we get into sort of the next stage, which is now we're filming it, now we're interacting with professional people as to what it is. So, like, to use a perfect example, hey, your videographer, you you march into the Imperial Death March. You know, mm-hmm. that's what the bride's song, um, which I think would be sort of <laughs> vaguely appropriate. That's why I actually purposely chose it. Um, but the, uh, the thing is, is, you know, you do that, but let's say the videographer can't really hear it on the video, so he dubs it over. Yep. Now you have an issue of like, hey, wait, you just committed a sync, you know, which is yep. a separate copyright license, which could cause you an issue. What do you do with that? And now that video gets posted to YouTube because the bride decides to post a section of it because she thinks it's funny. You know, suddenly you're you're moving into these areas where there readily could be a copyright suit. You know, yep. even though when you look at it and sort of say the underlying thing is very practically unlikely. Well, and as a practical matter, the way that these mass distribution platforms sort of police these things is to just use bots to to yes. scan all their content and look for potential infringement. So you know they're going to pick up oh Imperial Death March that belongs to I don't know who owns the soundtrack rights probably Lucas. Yeah. Film again, uh, you know, but they're going to pick that up and they're going to flag it as infringing content, and then and then you know, you as the uploader, it's under you to say either it infringes or it doesn't. What's your argument at that point? I guess you'd argue it's a fair use, but you know, the way our music rules work, that's a pretty clear case of needing a sync right. If you're going to use the the master recording yeah. uh, with the video, you need a sync license. Yeah, but it's, I, mean, I think YouTube specifically actually has some license rights to do things like that. They do with certain songs and everything else. I know there's some rights out there, so. You know, there's going to be some additional like possibilities of something that comes out in this. But again, I think what you really have is interesting here is where is this line? Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm kind of really focusing on is it's is it okay to do the Star Wars wedding but not okay to film it? You know, where why is that the line? Is it okay to do the Star Wars wedding so long as you don't encourage your friends to show up? You know, or you yeah. tell people they're not supposed to post on YouTube but they do anyway. Like, how do you deal with this line? How do you know where this line is? And uh, as a practical matter, if I'm just a consumer, I'm not an IP attorney. I'm just a consumer. 
consumer who happens to be seriously into Star Wars. When does this cross the line? And the, I'm going to actually focus the second thing that I think, and it's not necessarily directly part of this episode, but I think is sort of worth pointing out. We also bump into this line of sort of when does this relationship become toxic? Um, we've seen a lot sort of coming out right now about sort of toxic relationships like, you know, Instagram, people dropping off of Instagram and Twitter, mm-hmm. um, actors and actresses from Star Wars, from other sort of famous properties. Oh, yeah, the Rose, the, uh, the, the, Rose, the yeah. girl that played Rose, yeah, she's getting a lot of flack. Rose, which I, she's getting a lot of flack. And I look at her, I'm like, I Rose was my why. favorite character in the entire movie. I yeah. loved Rose. I thought, I thought <laughs> the character was fine. I thought the actress did a fine job with her. I mean, I just, I don't understand all, the, the most useless character in the, the movie was Arguably, Luke until the very end doesn't <laughs> yeah. do anything except to grouse and complain. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'm going to put it out there as I, I commented immediately after seeing you know the episode eight. I want Rose's action figure. Like that was the the character I wanted after it because I thought Rose was so cool because she's like the nerdy engineer yeah. who's completely awesome. Yeah, she, she's was, the one I relate to the most. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the thing sort of I had with it. But again, I think you, you bump into this idea of you've got you know. Again, a second question of when does this cross the line? When does we we look at something and say, hey, we're interfacing, we're expressing opinions, we're liking it. When does this cross the line now into potential bullying and potential Mm -hmm. problems? We're seeing that same issue here in IP. Is it's, you know, we've got people who have really loved the Star Wars trilogies, really love the Star Wars universe. You know, they you want to theme your wedding around this. I mean, this mm-hmm. is sort of one of the most major events in your life, and you want to theme your wedding about it. That's dedication. It's dedication, but it's also, you know, more than likely it has some special meaning to you. You know, you and your and your spouse met each other because of Star Wars. You met at a convention, you met at some kind of association with it. There's a reason you probably want to do this. Um, I've only ever been to one theme wedding in my life. Um, what was the theme? It was actually a Lego-themed wedding, um, <laughs> which awesome. was really fun um, as to what it was. And the way they actually did it is they got a... Um, it was kind of a fantasy-type Lego-type thing. They did a bunch of other stuff. They actually had a, a LARP going on at one point in time during it. But they bought a bunch of the uh, the Lego castle kits, so mm-hmm. the actual like fantasy castles. Yeah. And they had all the bits just on various different tables. And they had all of the guests build the Lego castles. And then they spray-glued them together and stay and save oh, that's them. cool. And sort of wedding gifts and things like that, which that's I thought was a great idea, idea actually. Yeah. Just as kind of a really cool concept um, as to, you know, what they did. But yeah, there's there's a lot of things that you sort of encounter out there of people that just, they love this stuff. You know, they're very directly involved with it and they want to take it. But you are dealing now with an, a, a layer of loving it that says you're creating it. And I remember they, they've had a discussion in conjunction with the stuff with Instagram, like the idea of toxic love. And eventually you hit the point where I own it hits part of the idea mm-hmm. um, of, of that relationship. And the answer to it is, no, you don't. No, and, and this, this almost goes back to our, our last episode about, about the difference between individual rights and cultural rights. These rights are all owned by somebody, the yes. somebody being you know, Lucasfilm, LTD. Yeah. Essentially, not you as the fan. Yeah, not you, not any of us. Uh, but when something like Star Wars becomes as culturally pervasive as it is now and as influential— you know, does does there come a point that, as a practical matter, it does sort of in in a in a non legal sense belong to all of us in a way? Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was an important part of so many people's youth and childhood, and I think that's what you see reflected when people you know uh, poo poo the new movies and say they're not good enough. You know, when Star Wars came out, they were just a couple of really good movies that we all loved. Yeah, but they didn't make any more for a while, and you know, people made books and we read those, but that was it. Now it's like we make a new Star Wars movie, and if nobody likes it, we can't just say well, that was just a bad movie in the Star Wars universe. No, no, no. It wasn't really Star Wars. Make another Star Wars movie. Now, 
not one like that. Yeah. It's so strange. It's, like the, this this mythos or this sort of uh, ideal. Uh, what am I trying to say? Ideology. Ideology. The, the idealized. Okay. The idealization of what Star Wars should be, which is basically Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> is, is the standard we hold everything <laughs> to now. Is. But that's that's like saying, well, you know, if it's not the Godfather Part Two, then it's it's not a crime movie. You know. <laughs> the, the interesting thing I think you also bump into that is that you talk about the idea of how pervasive it is. And I mean, I remember like when Episode Eight came out. I believe when Solo came out too. You know, Modot, the local Department of Transportation, we have the big flashing signs, you know, to tell you when there's wrecks and things mm-hmm. like that. And they always flash seatbelt warnings when they're not doing it. They made Star Wars themed ones. You yeah. know, they actually had flash up on the on the on the boards. You know, they weren't anything directly related to it, but it was like, um, you know, you know, you know, use the you know, use your seatbelt, you know, and sort of yeah. the line and things like that. I can't remember how they all phrased them all. Use the seatbelt, Luke. Um, but yeah, you know, they've done a, f- a bunch of phrases like that. Now they do those on a regular basis. They did Father's Day themed ones, yeah. you know, they did Mother's Day themed ones and things like that, which obviously are just to attract attention, but it's I think it shows you how pervasive culturally it is. Well, because you can uh, say something like that. A simple line like like, No, I am your father. I mean, yeah. everybody knows what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, it's 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 so it's so uh, uh, ingrained into our popular content. I mean, my, my kids who haven't even seen the original trilogy still get references to them. Like, oh, that's a Star Wars How have thing. your kids not seen the original trilogy? You know, they don't have the patience for it. I can't get because <laughs> So, you know, you think about it. Star Wars is a 1977 movie, and, and the concept of what, what, what is or is not action pacing at the time is very different. So, you know, once the first battle scene is over and they land on Tatooine, there's maybe a 90-second sequence where R2 is going to the canyon by himself before the Jawas shoot him. Yeah. In a modern movie, that would be three seconds long. <laughs> You know, because we can't build up any tension because nobody has a long enough attention span to sit still and enjoy the scenery for one minute. You know, it's just got to move along right now. And so, you know, you don't get any appreciation for who the Jawas are. You can see how that would be cut now. It'd be like one Jawa just jump out and shoot him and that's that. Or they'd skip the whole scene, you know. Um, that's interesting. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure that that's necessarily true that we've lost the appreciation for tension. I haven't watched any horror movies recently, but... Um, but they're all jump scares now. It's all like like crazy, crazy music and then skull looking demon thing jumps out and, and, and everybody jumps in the theater there's not a, there are movies that do that like uh, A Quiet Place was one of those uh, what was the other one I heard about Hereditary I haven't seen oh, it yet no, but I, I heard that that, that one makes a lot of good really, use of really tension good too, yeah. yeah but I think your your traditional Halloween movies are are thing in mask or demonic gabool <laughs> creature <laughs> you know leaps out of the shadows at you during sense situation and, uh, and and scary violin music plays yeah but at the same time I think you've got you've got to have some setup I mean horror yeah. movies as they say there's Suspense movies. They aren't necessarily, you know, there's horror yeah. movies and there's suspense movies, and those are different. I t- one of the best suspense, suspense movies I ever saw was No Country for Old Men. <laughs> and, and the reason why is because there is no soundtrack. The, the movie doesn't tell you what to think is going to yes. happen. So there's just a scene where there's two characters sitting there and one's got a gun pointed at the other, and you're like, is he going to shoot or not? You know, in most movies, there would be a slow crescendo, <laughs> and you're like, okay, he's going to shoot or he's not. Here it comes. <laughs> But there's nothing. There's no soundtrack. Yeah. It just it either happens or it doesn't. So when it does, it's all the more jarring. I thought that was very effective. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to talk about horror, horror and suspense movies because as bad as it is, I'm a huge like old school horror suspense fan. Um, I really love like the old Universal monsters like Wolfman yeah. and Dracula and stuff like that. Which I mean, they're truly suspense movies because. There's very little horror in them. You know, maybe one or two people die in conjunction with it because they just didn't have the special effects yeah. is the reality. Well, they wouldn't have been all that convincing. It would, it would yeah. you know, break the, the suspension of disbelief. 
believe. Yeah, and things like that. But, you know, you get these, you know, particularly talk about like Boris Karloff as some of these, you know, some of these great actors. Um, I mean, the guy from Grand Marth, he plays Grand Marth Tark- Tarkin. I mean, being a great Peter example Cushing. of actually yeah. being a, you know, sort of good uh, suspense uh, actor is, is one of those things where it's, you just get this, like, even though you look at it and go, this is campy, it doesn't look that good, it's still creepy. It's effective filmmaking. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crafting a visual narrative, which, you know, as my wife and I were just talking the other day just about how hard it is to be a director and to take, you know, these pages of dialogue of characters before you have actors picked out, before you really have a personality assigned to it, and then bring these scenes to life and do all the blocking and who's going to be where and how are you going to light it and who's going to use what tone of voice. And if you ever look at, like, the outtakes for a movie or, like, the alternative uh, versions of scenes, just very minor variations and in, in, in vocal inflections in a given take completely change the movie mood of a scene. Yeah. And and to be able to filter through, you know, 40 different takes and say this is the one that captures this character the way I want to then, you know, set set up the character for later in the movie. It's so much goes into that. I have so much respect for directors. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting because yeah, I think the the concept of directing and in some sense that's also the concept of acting. What I always think is interesting about sort of the differences between directing and acting in movies versus like plays is how much in movies it's much more scene based. You know, you're talking about here this individual scene needs to do this, needs to do this, needs to do this. Where obviously yeah. in a play, you've got a single character that's carrying through, and it's just making sure that the person stays in character. Yep. Whereas with a movie, sometimes you don't necessarily want the character to stay in character because of the way you want the character to develop what you want to do. And I've sort of always wondered if that is, when we talk about great movie actors versus sort of -of run-of-the-mill movie actors, if that's what separates them, and it's just very, very hard to understand it unless you're really, really in the business, Mm -hmm. and that's why, you know, these these people are particularly good versus other people. You also got to wonder if maybe that's some of the reason why people get typecast, is because they're just particularly good at doing certain roles. Yeah. To to me, I mean, that's my mark for a good actor, is while I'm Watching the movie, have I forgotten who's, who the actor is? Yeah. And some actors are like that. Tom Hanks, I almost never think, well, it's Tom it's Hanks. Tom Hanks, I, mean, yeah. I usually get lost. Tom Cruise is the opposite for me. I am painfully <laughs> aware that it's Tom Cruise at all times, partially because every scene is blocked and filmed to make him look taller. <laughs> no offense, Tom, if you're a listener, but uh, it's it, but it's the magic of movie making. Like, yeah. my wife loves Tom Cruise, uh, and she never notices that. I always do. So, yeah. anyway, let's talk through some of these issues a little more. So... Now, in the wedding situation, I think one of the threshold questions is, or, or you know, not even a wedding, just any sort of uh, semi-public gathering of yep. people, uh, does it does it matter from a legal analysis standpoint whether the people who have brought their own costumes or accessories or whatever, whether they're homemade or whether they're store-bought? What do you think? I mean, potentially, yes. And the fact that, obviously, a store-bought costume, for the most part, should be licensed. I mean, if you're really buying one, you're probably buying a licensed one, and you may not be. There's lots of yeah. licensed stuff out there. Let's assume it's a licensed version. But let's assume costume. it's a licensed version, because somebody who's seriously into it is going to buy something that looks really, really accurate, and unlicensed stuff gets around it by not being really yeah. accurate. Um, so, yeah, I think you're talking licensed as to what it is. I think this is one of those questions where, for the purposes of it being just sort of a public venue— I don't think it matters. I think it's going to be one of those things where if it's a licensed costume, okay, yeah, you're running around a licensed costume. If it's an unlicensed costume, yeah, you're running around in an unlicensed costume, but it's something you made individually. Yeah. And I think that's where you're going to kind of bump into the concept of fair use. You're really going to bump into, hey, I made this. Um, you know, I'm just basing it upon it. It's not like you actually made any money off of it. There's no transfer. You start to look like fair use when you're talking about a costume yeah. you made yourself that you are wearing. And for the licensed costume, we have to think of who the license runs to. The license is going to be to the seller of the costume, not necessarily yeah. to the consumer who has no contract with the actual IP rights holder. I'm, I'm going to buy my costume from the Halloween store down the street. I have a contract with them that doesn't involve IP rights at all. It involves me buying a bag yeah. full of plastic 
plastic and, and whatever else is in there. Although I think if they're going to market it as a licensed costume, it's going to have the logos on it. You've got yeah, some sense yeah. that the, the movie studio is okay with you wearing this, which is obviously yeah. its intended purpose. But but then for what purpose? Do they mean for it to be used for Halloween or to be part of a, a filmed you know yeah. a, a event that's going to wind up on YouTube? I think the movie theater or the you know the the IP holder is thinking this is the Halloween costume for for yeah. people to dress up at at small private Halloween gatherings, and they're not really worried about you taking the costume and making a Star Wars movie yeah. out of it. Yeah, I think you're really talking at that point in time. A costume is intended to be used as a costume for private events, things like yeah. that. But it is a costume for a entertainment costume purposes be, only. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a costume can obviously be filmed. You can be filmed using a costume, and I think that's one of those things you really bump into the line. And and the reason I think it matters is because you look at it and said, hey, if we all went out and bought licensed costumes, can we make another Star Wars movie? And the answer to that is probably no. No. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yet, why not? You know, we, we obviously have licensed costumes. All the acting, all the dialogue is, is written by us. All we're doing is filming it. And that's we kind of bump into this line. There's some difference between it being live and some difference being filmed. Well, we get it. Film is permanent. Yep. As you post it on the internet, the internet's forever, as we've talked about <laughs> in prior episodes. I mean, hey, we want to go back and refilm the Star Wars Christmas special. Oh, oh God, no, why would we you? do not want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Although that might be really funny. <laughs> but yeah, I think... I'm going to redo the... That's, that's like a film school project. I'm going to redo the Star Wars Christmas <laughs> special, and I'm going to get it right. <laughs> if you can get that, you probably deserve a PhD in film editing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think but those kind of things is, where is that line? And we look at them and say, there's a line at video. Mm-hmm. And it, in some sense, that makes sense because it's reproduction, it's reproduction and things like that. But if you also go back, that line at video makes much more sense in the 1970s than it does now. Yeah. Because now we look at it and say, our lives are lived on video. You know, everything's being filmed. Everything ends up on YouTube. I mean, we were commenting about it. You know, you have, you know, an ambulance and a police car with crime tape up. There are a hundred people videoing. I don't care what it is that happened. Yeah. It could just be somebody threw a brick through a window. There are a hundred people videotaping it. So is there an argument now that the pervasiveness of, of surveillance or recording technology has made it almost impossible to not incidentally capture what would otherwise be copyrightable or copyright protected stuff, yep. you know, on on a camera, and you know, and and you know, for for rebroadcast purposes, they usually deal with that by just blurring it out. Yeah. You know, you'll see on TV, someone's got a T-shirt with something copyrighted <clears throat> on it. They just blur it out, so you can't see what it, you can tell what it is usually. But they they have at least a good faith argument. Well, we didn't actually show it because yeah. it's been blurred out. But what about just the act of filming in the first place? Does that alone? create any problems. Yeah, and, and again, I think you know this is one of these things where technically you're bumping into a copyright infringement. You know, you are creating a new work. You're making a videotape out of, you know, video recording out of Have something. Have you made a derivative not, work of somehow? You've already made a derivative work. I mean, it's making a movie script out of a out of a um, book, you know. Yeah. I mean, you've made a, a filmed image, you know, shooting a character. The other question I think you also bump into is, is it shooting them as a character? You know, is it somebody who's running around in a Jedi robe pretending to be a Jedi? Or is it somebody who's simply running around in a Jedi robe because that's what they're wearing as a wedding guest? Well, that's the other thing. Like, it's it's a robe. You know, robes yeah. have been worn by people in deserts for ages <laughs> to keep the sun off of them. Yeah. You know, so w- what makes a robe a Jedi robe versus uh, just traditional desert garb? Yeah. Um, or even a bathrobe for that matter. Oh, which I think many of us, you know, as children ran around as being Jedi in. Well, and then uh, and then a Snoke apparently was had escaped from the Playboy Mansion immediately prior to the episode <laughs> being filmed with his golden thing he was wearing. But yeah, I think. But you know, you've got some of that that kind of thing. As to you know where it is is just again where is this line as to where we have it, and when we start getting into private events, we start getting into weddings, we start getting into these types of things. We, we are threatening to cross that yeah. line, and particularly when we're talking about videotape. And I think this is 
one of those areas that copyright law, quite frankly, is really having trouble with right now is we have this pervasiveness of cameras, pervasiveness of video, and the use of video. And people have commented about it as they've said, you know, kids of today are the most photographed kids in existence in all of history, but we're not saving the pictures. I think I have entire years of my life where not a single picture of me was taken. Yeah. You know, because you took pictures when you, you know, went on family vacations. Yeah. And, and at Christmas. You, know, you, 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 like, grab the camera and go, oh, wait, there's already 12 pictures taken on this 24 yeah. roll of film. I wonder what's <laughs> on here. We'll figure it out when we get it back after this vacation. You know, that you know that type of stuff is just gone. I mean, it's got to be a blockbuster video versus Netflix. But the, <laughs> the thing that I think you bump into is – we have this just pervasiveness of, di- mm-hmm. of video technology, which is everywhere. And it's not even just that it's available. It's that it's being used. And we've talked it's about this a little bit in private stuff. Yeah, it's omnipresent. But it's also being used. And people are not thinking about it. We're not thinking about the fact that when you put a, post a videotape of something up on YouTube, it creates a much more permanent record than watching it. Well, a good example of that is, and uh, I don't know enough about this law to say for sure, but because I, I researched it for like five minutes once. But there was a law passed by... Um, I want to say the George W. Bush administration to kind of update the copyright regime to deal with uh, like e-learning environments. And I think what it says is that if you want to play an audio, a copyrighted audio material in an educational classroom environment, I don't think you need uh, performing rights uh, licenses to do that. Mm -hmm. But if you record it, everything changes and then you do. And, yeah, and, and again, the first one's generally considered pretty clearly educational use, and it's temporal use too. But as yep. soon as you take an online class which is recorded and you're repeating the same thing over and over again, now you're talking the reproduction of a recording. And then does it matter if you record it and replay it later or if it's just live streamed? Yep. Yeah, and those are the things that I think you're bumping into. And that's I think that's really the focus of this episode. And, and, and again, I'm going to kind of harp on it as to what it is. I think the purpose of this episode is to point out the fact that there is a line here. We know there's a line which can be crossed in conjunction with doing theming, in conjunction with doing these things. But there's a real question of where that line is. And I think it probably depends. This is where we go back to follow the money is at what point are you profiting enough off of basically somebody else's IP that it matters? So, like, if you have, uh, let's say, a very open-minded church and they're going to host a wedding and the couple says, we want to do a Star Wars-themed wedding. And the church says, well, our fee to use the church is $500 regardless. Okay, yep. fine. Versus the church saying for an extra thousand, we'll dress it up with, we'll put tie fighters over the stations of the yeah. cross. You know, I mean, I mean, no church would do that, but <laughs> you, get the, you get the idea. Um, I think I mean, the problem is just stations of the cross is Catholic, so yeah, I think you yeah. have a church that would do that, well, but they wouldn't about, have the stations of the cross. So, uh, you remember the movie Highlander with Christopher Lambert? Yes. So the church scene at the end where the Kurrigan busts in yep. has his famous line, it's better to burn out than to fade away, which I think was improv. Yeah. Um, you know, that scene involves some, some pretty um, gnarly dialogue. Uh, things you don't normally say in and church. And very aggressive stuff from a church. I mean, he puts out the, 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 the candles, he's tapping out yeah, the candles. Yeah, pretty disrespectful things. That church, I don't know if it's a Catholic church or not, I don't think it was, but uh, I, I read once that the church itself, you know, most churches said, no, you're not going to film that scene here. That's highly offensive and sacrilegious. But there was one particular church that was on its last legs and was like, we need the money. Yeah. And so, you know, we'll, we'll swallow our pride as long as, you know, we have some editorial yeah. control for what, what happens. For some reason, I'm thinking they might have done this too, and I don't remember that. I may be wrong in this, but didn't they actually like deconsecrate the church for the window? 
They may have. I think they may have done that. They may have actually deconsecrated the church for the window in which it was filmed and then reconsecrated afterwards, maybe yeah. the issue. But I know there was something like that. There's some very interesting things that were done associated with that. But t- take away churches, just say you have a convention hall and you want to do a Star Wars themed wedding. I think it's I think it's one thing if the wedding party buys everything they want or makes it, brings it in, sets it up, yeah. and takes it down, versus somebody advertising or like like hotels. Yeah, we'll, host, we'll host Star Wars weddings. We have a Star Wars theme. Yeah, we have all this stuff hall. already that you can just pay us to use. Well, if that stuff's not licensed, then there's a stronger argument, I think, that you've crossed that line. Yep. And, and that's the, the real issue is you're getting into, we definitely have money changing hands. And we've talked about previously about this, sort of one of the elements of fair use is whether or not money changes hands. And in many respects, it's one of the most important elements. When you're talking about events like this, money is unquestionably changing hands. Yeah. Um, and so we, we're, we're that side of that element of fair use. And so one of our primary defenses falls. I mean, you know, we, we're now looking at the other three factors and stuff like that. And what does that, what does that mean? You know, we're getting yep. into commercial reality. Again, how much does it matter that you have a, you know, a location which says, hey, you can have a wedding here versus you can have our Star Wars wedding here because we have theme props that you can also additionally rent versus we built the hall to look like the Death Star throne yes. room. So on that line, like you've seen the hotels that have the themed like romantic getaway rooms, yep. you know. I mean, I've never seen one, but presumably there's no reason why you couldn't construct one to look like Star Wars, have a spacescape and just buy some yep. f- some fat heads, you know, and put them on the wall or maybe build like a, you seen the dad that made the ad at Walker bunk bed? Yeah. That's that's hardcore. Like that's now, that's some my, of that stuff is also, I mean, when they do it like the Star Wars themed rooms, I think they just have Star Wars themed sheets and you know, things yeah. like that. It's not necessarily that they've done like construction associated yeah. with it, but 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 then can you can you charge more for that and say, well, if you want the Star Wars room, it's two hundred dollars a night because they know everybody wants the Star Wars room. At that point, you're not making money off of your hotel or your services. It's because it's Star Wars. And now we're starting to sound like trademark. Yeah, now we're starting to sound like trademark law. And that's the next thing we're bumping into is we talked about those being aligned potentially for copyright, now we're starting to sound like is there a line for trademark where we bump into this? Where, hey, is this a representation? You know, hey, I post my wedding up and it's a Star Wars wedding. Does that imply yeah. that somehow Disney approved of yeah. this? It's not Star Wars brand weddings. It's yeah. just my Star Star Wars is used as an adjective, not as a, yeah. as a source identifier. But yet, if you talk about it, I mean, I could very well believe that, you know, Disney will do themed weddings and they probably can do, you know, hey, they can really do a Cinderella themed wedding, which, you know, if you're having it at Disney and they're doing it, it is probably unquestionably licensed. Yeah, and so, <laughs> And so can Disney cut this off by starting to offer those services itself and say, come to Disney World and have your, what well, it doesn't be Star Wars, have your, uh, you know, wedding. your Little Mermaid or your Frozen themed wedding. And then when other people start saying, it's my Star Wars themed wedding, well, now you've got a trademark problem because yeah. Disney does offer those services and you could be confused. Quite frankly, I think, I think Disney does offer some services. Do they really? With it. They, I mean, they can very well believe that they, they should. do. If not, then they should start. Disney, you got the idea from us. So let's start talking royalties. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but at the same time, you think about it, like diehard fans, who wouldn't do that you could like actually use like the Tatooine the, the, the pending you know Tatooine like new yeah. uh, set at, at Disney World for the, the you know to have your wedding there wouldn't that be just incredibly awesome it would look better it would have <laughs> higher quality props which gives you another trademark thing normally you deal with trademark problems by just disclaiming it and saying we're not associated with Disney in any way there no likelihood of confusion no trademark yeah. infringement but they do have other arguments they can raise, which yep. we kind of talked about on our way over here today. They could raise dilution, which is yep. that even though Disney doesn't offer the same services, by you offering it, you're diluting the demand for our stuff. Or tarnishment, which is your your weddings suck and ours are high quality and you're making us look bad. Yeah, which is, gets back to or that we talked about previously with the idea of like the rental characters. Um, now, again, we looked at it and said that line appears to have been crossed. We looked like, mm-hmm. you know, hey, they said you can't do the rental characters. You know, there's been lawsuits over the idea of lightsaber academies, that sword fighting academies that train you yep. in lightsaber battles, you know, things like that. 
we've seen again these commercial establishments crossing over. This is where it gets weird. And, yeah. and again, what we're talking about is in, in some sense those are the commercial establishment is clearly offering something. We basically said there's the other side, which is the individual just doing it, which is kind of our idea. They just rent a they rent a hall and just do it. But when we get to the idea that says, hey, we've got a middle ground where. Mm-hmm. It's not that they're offering it, but maybe they're encouraging it, or they're doing something. You know, we have we have the props, which you can rent for additional money. You know, stuff like that. Where does that bump into? I mean, one of the next stages, and, and quite frankly, what's something we could probably spend you know another twenty minutes talking about. What about photo booths? You know, yeah. photo booths are hugely popular right now. They obviously have a bunch of props, and we just did one recently at a wedding. One of the things they had was a hockey mask. I wonder why they have a hockey mask. You know, we can probably figure out what that was for and what, you know, the idea behind it is. Now, it's a hockey mask. What, you know, what can you do? But it's that style of hockey mask. You know, what is well, that The first thing mean? I think of is Friday the 13th. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing with it is it's, you know, are they intending you to sort of, you know, be, you know, Jason in conjunction with Friday the 13th because you have a hockey mask. You can do that in part of your theme photos. Now, one of the interesting things about a lot of those theme photos, those can upload automatically. In certain cases, those can upload to like Facebook and stuff like that mm-hmm. automatically without the person even knowing it. We have one of those. We went to uh, one of the startup events around here and uh, they had some, I think it was all their own stuff, but you and I got in front of some blue screen. Green, yeah. or green screen, and they took a picture of us next to like an exploding light bulb. Yeah, it was an exploding light bulb, which was actually their IP. That was the, the yeah. thing, I think. Yeah, so I mean, that one's had. probably fine, but you know, you can imagine if you had uh, something else that, like a hockey mask type thing, that would make you look like, you know, Jason or something. Possibly a different situation. Let's hit on one more uh, public like event, moving away from weddings. What about theme trivia nights? Yeah, uh, I recently was the the champion of a Star Wars trivia night at a local brewery, uh, bringing home my my awesome Millennium Falcon um, uh, waffle iron and some glasses and some other things. Uh, now this this bar that I had this trivia night at is packed nonstop. So I, I don't think there's much of an argument that, oh, you only had people there because of Star Wars. It is standing room only every night of the week. So uh, I don't think they made a whole lot of extra money off of it. But they do Save by the Bell. They do Star Wars. Yeah. They do uh, How I Met Your Mother. They do all these different themed trivia nights. Yeah, now, this is not people that are dressing up as the themes. This is because these are the no, questions. or just themed. the questions. But then we were, we were talking, you know, when you ask the questions, often some of it's, you know, simply simple factual stuff. Like, uh, what is the docking bay number that the Millennium Falcon was <laughs> in uh, on Todd? Okay, so that's just that's just a fact. I get that from one the movie. wrong every time. What is it? Ninety four. That's I, I know it's ninety, and I get it wrong every I single think it's time. I think it's ninety four. The last number. Is um, I got it right in trivia night at least. But then sometimes you actually will have them recite dialogue from the movie. You know, yep. who said this line, or play a short clip, or something like that. Does that present different issues than just talking about what happened in the film? I think the answer is yes, it potentially does. At the same time, I think you're really bumping into sort of de minimis and again, yeah. sort of some fair use. You talk about the idea and say, hey, if somebody repeats a line from the movie, how else are you going to do it? You know, there's nothing else with it. You yep. play, you know, what chord is this? And you play the initial chord from, you know, the Star Wars, uh, you know, theme song. B flat major. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and that kind of thing. That's a very doable question. You played one chord. You know, I yep. mean, you know, it's that type of stuff sort of with it. You just I do it on the piano, bring a keyboard and just play it. You know, yeah. then there's no problem. And I think a lot of times it's convenience that people do it for the clips. I mean, again, I think you're not. Not going to show the entire movie. No, You're going to be showing no. clips. You know, you really get into sort of a lot of fair use argument in conjunction with that um, as to what it, you know as to what the things are. But at the same time, there's a Star Wars Trivial Pursuit, which is a you know entirely licensed yeah, version of Trivial Pursuit. My family will not play it with me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so last Christmas I was up in Minneapolis and my uh, my nephew uh, Henry wanted to play it, and I said Henry, I'm going to warn you, you may only get one turn. <laughs> you better win 
right away. He actually got about three, but I, I still did pretty well. He, he's pretty good, but uh, it, it's it's hard to beat a, a pro. But when you get to those sort of trivia nights, now let's say you want to do a trivia, and I'm going to put those trivia questions online, and I'm going to do it as part of giving away actual money. Yeah. Oh boy, now we're getting into where we're crossing the line. Well, again. then how hard do you promote it? Do you go out on Twitter and do you have like this bar had like a, a dark side flight and a light side flight, so yeah. you get two different flights of beers, so the dark and light beers. I mean, that's I mean, there's nothing there to that, but there's that. There's there's posters hanging up. There's uh, you know social media advertising for the Star Wars trivia night. There's no likelihood of confusion. I don't think there's any good argument for tarnishment, but you can you could see. Um, suppose it is a bar and a Disney. It property. is a bar, and suppose they were using you know something affiliated with an organization that is uh, objects to the use of alcohol, like the Mormon Church, yeah. or uh, I mean, I think Baptists don't drink yeah, either. I mean, right. um, Baptists are out there. Correct me. I don't know. Um, but I mean, you, you see the point. And and set aside a bar, there are ways you could use a property that's not you know particularly well protected in a way that most people would either find objectionable or pretend to find objectionable. Yeah. What you're talking about on the way over, uh, Internet Rule 46, whatever it is, if if it exists, somebody will make porn out of it. <laughs> they, said, they said Rule 46 was make fuzzy porn out of it. Maybe that's what it was. And 43 <laughs> or something else. I don't know. I tried to Google it on the way over and I couldn't find the rule. But there's some Internet Rule that says if something is out there, it will be turned into pornography by yep. somebody at some point. And, and there, I mean, I think we've tied, we've, we've hit on this topic before, but now we're talking, that's almost certainly crossed the line. Yeah. Now, at that point yeah. in time, people are going to look at it and say, I have a problem with this. Virtually this is anybody would reasonably find that objectionable. Where's that line? Yeah. You know, we're bumping into it again. Where's that line? And maybe that's the the idea. That The example of the one that I think of, and it's as bad as it is, is it's, I'm, I'm thinking of an old, you know, Robert, um, Robin Williams sketch, and it's the you know old thing when he's when he's live at the Met, which if if you don't if you know anything about comedy, Robin Williams live at the Met has got to be one of the best like comedic routines ever done, and it's the one where he's talking about you know I believe it's Reagan and um, and, and our Soviet counterpart at the time, and he does the you know like you know this is what it is, and it's you know if you cross this line you die. Okay, if you cross this line, you die. Okay, if you cross this line, you die. <laughs> you know, and it's it's this whole thing of basically like you know how many lines are you going to draw before you actually carry out this threat. That's kind of the same thing yeah. we're bumping into here. Is it's where is that line, and how much are we going to do? You know, we bumping into you know, hey, you've got to pick where that line in the sand is going to be, and it's going to be the, up to the rights holder. That some of these yeah. rights holders are going to say this is where the line is, and you cross it, you're in trouble. Other ones are maybe not saying. They're just saying, hey, do what you do, and if we see something we think crosses the line, we're going to do it. Um, turning back to pornography, it's kind of the Supreme Court, it's pornography when we see it. Yeah, Potter Stewart. Um, maybe what we bump into is, it's copyright infringement when we see it. You know, We kind of look at it and say, do we have a problem with this? Do we not have a problem with this? If we do, it's an issue. Yep. Now, the, the reality of it is most of this is going to get resolved amicably. It's stuff that's going to happen behind the scenes we're never going to hear about, but when you're talking about how do I know what I can and can't do, the answer to this is, is we don't know. Well, that's the other problem is people come to lawyers to get answers for what I can and can't do. Well, I can tell you what the law says. I can tell you what you can do that could give rise to a copyright infringement suit. What yeah. I can't tell you is how likely that is. And whether or not that suit will actually be brought. And yeah. if it is brought, whether or not you're going to win it. Now, as a practice, and, and – because those are business choices to make, right? So if I'm Bat Dad and he comes to me and says, you know, can I can I make all these YouTube videos where I pretend to be Batman? I'm like, well, you know what? There's an argument that that's a copyright infringement or a trademark infringement or a something infringement. And if the studio wants to be aggressive enough, they could come after you. Now, what are they going to do? They could seek an injunction telling you you have to stop, which would probably be the least of your concerns. Yeah. Or they could seek infringement for every video saying it all every infringes download. their Batman character. And every download is you distributing a copy and demanding 
the maximum $150,000 per in statutory damages, plus their legal fees, and rack up millions and millions of dollars. Now, can you afford to pay it? No. You'll declare bankruptcy, and it's gone. You know, and yeah. that's that. So, At the same time, that's a pretty negative outcome for you for making what you think is a funny video. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what is that risk? Is it 1%? Is it 50%? I think we'd all be comfortable saying it's well below 50%. Beyond that, who knows? Yeah. You know? And if you get a, a litigious enough rights holder, it couldn't be higher. I mean, yeah. Sony famously sued people in the height of the downloading era over distributing a couple thousand copies of songs and one judgment of $20, $30 million. All uncollectible. Yeah. You know, because no, there's people, they don't have that kind of money. Yeah, and I think that that's the, the real thing with this. And again, I think what I'm kind of playing around with the theme of this, this thing, and I think it's an important theme to sort of point out with, is a lot of times when we're doing these episodes, it's relatively easy to say what the law and doesn't does not say. Yeah. It's harder to say this is what the law's line means. Mm-hmm. It's nothing entirely to say if you cross it, does it matter? Yep. And, you know, we talked about one of the ones we talked about over here, just using sort of a simple example, is the, the crime of battery, um, which is effectively hitting somebody without their permission. Any, anything that would be considered an offensive and unwanted touching. Yeah. We bump into people on the street yeah. all the time. All that offensive, be, all unwanted. Yeah, that could be a battery, you know, yet we don't see people being arrested for bumping into each other on the street. I mean, anybody who's listening from Chicago or New York, I mean, yeah. this happens incessantly. <laughs> it battered thousands of times you know, a day. And so you look at it and say, what does this mean? But at the same time, somebody, you know, like hits you and knocks you over, punches you and knocks you over, and they've crossed that line. That's a different thing entirely. Where's the line? And, and so much of that, what's what you bump into with law is we don't know. You know, as lawyers, you just plain don't know where that line is because that line plays into two important factors. What does the law say and how is it interpreted? And then secondly, does the other person care? Yeah. Um, and a lot of times you have another party on this. And and maybe that's a real takeaway from this, this episode is to just sort of say – when you're dealing with any of these kind of questions, like having these same questions, a lot of what bumps into is, does the other side care? And we can't tell you the answer to that question. Yeah. We just don't know. Even if they care, is it worth it for them to do anything about it? That's kind of the, do they yeah. care? Yeah. And the answer is often no. And, and, and but as Kirk has said, there, there, will, there is a point at which we don't really care because now this is a problem. And that's where you see companies, I think, seem like they abruptly change their position on things where something that has not really been a problem has begun yep. to become a problem for them or to threaten in a revenue stream or something like that. But I think it's also where if you're doing this kind of thing, it's relatively easy to progress down that chart, you know, to basically be saying, I'm okay doing this, I'm okay doing this, I'm okay doing this. And then, you know, you progress from I'm having a Star Wars-themed weddings to I'm building a banquet hall in the shape of the Death Star. You know, I mean, it's you can definitely see sort of somebody progressing down that route. If you're good enough at something, you can make a business out of virtually anything. And once you do, now now the, the, the rules change a little bit. Yeah, and that's and maybe that's the cautionary tale sort of in this yeah. is it's you know know that that line may may not be clear. All right. Well, uh, let's see. We have questions. Uh, let's see. We skipped questions last time because we were running long. So I will go ahead and read those from this time. Uh, we have one comment from Ken D on Facebook. Uh, he was referring to episode twenty-four. Uh, he says one thing that leapt to mind while you were talking about uh, uh, it. I forget what the subject was on that one. Uh, was the good facts, uh, good law, and manufactured cases. You didn't mention what was perhaps the most famous manufactured case ever, the Scopes Monkey Trial. (laughs) Ken says the Wikipedia article is a little sparser on the machinations involved in the case, but it was created in large part to be a test of the anti-evolution law recently passed. I seem to recall there even being a debate as to whether or not he'd actually taught evolution, so much as had agreed to be the sacrificial scapegoat to allow the case to be created. Now, I know it's not IP, but it did seem to fit the bill. I actually don't know that much about the Scopes Monkey Trial, but I had heard the same thing. 
time that you know this law was passed or or had been on the books for a while, and I don't know if it was the school district wanted to challenge it or somebody did. So yep. they had some substitute teacher who didn't have like a job really at stake here agree to say, yep, he he taught uh, evolution even though he wasn't sure if he had, and then they had the case or controversy. That that aspect of this is is more to do with the standing requirement to yep. get into court at all. You can't just sue anybody for nothing. I I can't just you know Kirk and I can't walk in and he files a lawsuit against me and says, can someone tell me whether we can do Star Wars weddings or not? Like, yeah. no, you have to put one on, you know? Yep. And then I'm not the correct plaintiff to sue Kirk or vice versa because we don't own the rights. Somebody who's been aggrieved by the decision has to Which be the right Which means you're right holder. Yeah. And that's, again, we're kind of getting at that. We don't know what they're going to think. So sometimes, and you see this a lot in legal research where, you know, a, a question comes up which seems basic, and you go to research it, and you can't find any cases on it. Yep. You're like, how has this never come up before? But sometimes things just don't because the yep. rights holders, um, the, the nature of, of what they're trying to protect, just the particular situation doesn't come up that often. Yeah, and that's and I think the idea of sort of some of these trials, the reason that they do these things is because they just, there are laws that need to be challenged, which aren't necessarily being enforced, because there's the what, what they always talk about in law school, about the chilling effect, yep. which is basically that having the law out there potentially chills the behavior of people not doing it because they're worried about it. And so you look at it and say, well, it's never been enforced, but that doesn't mean people, it's not being enforced because people aren't doing yep. it. There's a lot of very bad laws that are out there that are sort of old and don't necessarily make any sense. A couple of my favorite ones, um, if you, you don't know, I was in Boston for a few years. Uh, my understanding is that there's still a Boston law in the books, which prohibits you from serving lobster in a company cafeteria seven days of the week. Mm-hmm. And it was because originally they were seen as this just like awful little thing that we would be forced to eat. Oh, and so they said you can't sea serve it. Yeah. You can't force the poor to eat yeah, that? Yeah, you can't force the poor to eat it for seven days, all seven days. Six yeah. days is fine, Six but not days, all seven yeah. days. Um, and you sort of look at it and go, that's a stupid law nowadays. <laughs> Why on earth would any company cafeteria do that? But it's out there. Um, another one I know that they occasionally see on the, on the books is, I, and again, I believe it was from Boston, but it's another jurisdiction where you are not allowed to cross the street while walking on your hands. Um, you know, That's awfully specific. <laughs> you know, you look at it and sort of say these things came into being, you know, years ago because of some special specific thing that happened. But you worry, like, you know, some of these laws could potentially have a chilling effect. And if you go to ballot issues, a lot of times in like smaller municipal elections, you'll get elections where they actually have. Should we remove this law from the books? And you read through it, and you're like, this thing's, you know, completely. That's where all these goofy laws usually come from. Is like small municipalities that passed them a long time ago, yeah. and they just they've never been removed. You know, yeah. and and they're not enforced as a practical matter because everybody knows it would never hold. Up, you yep. know, and, um, uh, and those types of things with it. But what you really bump into, and I think that's the idea behind this: do you go after it legislatively, which is what they do there, or do you have a trial that basically says, well, "No, we need to get this law yeah. thrown out because it is now unconstitutional"? And in some of these cases, you have to do the trial, and that's, I think, the idea behind manufactured cases. Yeah. Uh, the other question I have: this one's from I don't know if we asked this already or not. But this one's been on our sheet for for several episodes now. Somebody asked us to talk about our favorite lawyer movies. Have yeah. we done that yet? No, we've not done that yet. Okay, Kirk, go ahead. Um, definitely my favorite lawyer movie. I think without any question is Twelve. Angry Man. Um, it is not even remotely accurate, I think, as to jury deliberations, but it's a great movie um, as to what it is. Movies that I think are actually sort of really good as things, and again, I'm going to come in as an IP, uh, an IP lawyer. They're not necessarily legal movies, but I think here's some, uh, some give some really good sort of insight into law and particular, uh, into patent law in particular. Flash of Genius, um, which I think gives you some great sort of indications about like how patent law actually plays out. Mm-hmm. And, and the way, you know, a lot of times these things happen and what you 
see happening. And it's it's a movie I definitely recommend sort of any inventor watch because I think it plays a lot of there's a great thing in there of standing and and sort of the interaction between characters and you know what can I and can't I do in a lawsuit that would cause me business problems. There's there's great scenes like that. Another one I actually happen to particularly enjoy, and again I think because of the nature of it is joy, um, which again is it, it's got a Hollywood ending, you know, and it's done sort of things like that. But there's some great scenes in there involving her patent and you know what she does right and what she does wrong, and and the answer is she does something really really wrong, and it, it comes back to haunt her later on. Um, so yeah, I sort of put those out there. Um, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of like legal thrillers, just because of the fact that, quite frankly, I think they they're fun, but they're thriller movies. They're not legal movies um, and sort of things like that. So that's sort of my take as to what yeah. I think would be some of my favorite. movies. I tend to agree. The legal thrillers um, are, are are really like you said, thriller movies that sort of hang the plot on the framework of of a legal issue, uh, but. I, I, I know just enough about the law now that I can't watch them and because yeah. I'm like well this this isn't this would never happen you know? it's the same as doctors watching ER you know yeah. they said you know like a single episode of ER is like every interesting case from a year and a half of practice yeah I just I, I look at or like like uh, movies that involve like a big trial or something like that if the movie wants me to take the proceeding seriously it's it's pretty tough for me to do because I'm, I'm watching like this is just not how this would go down and yep. so my my wife really likes she's been watching Fracture a lot lately okay um, with uh, who's in that uh, Ryan Gosling and um, oh shoot who plays the defendant and Anthony Hopkins uh, it's a fun movie I like it uh, I don't know fun's maybe not the right word it's, a, it's an entertaining movie yep. but the, the the trial proceedings are, are so absurd yeah. and, and the things that happen are, are, are so ridiculous and I think the whole plot hinges on the merger doctrine between attempted murder and murder and I, I think I think it has it completely backwards like they get a new trial because the, the victim dies after he's acquitted of the first charges and it's it's just ridiculous and so I can't I can't take the legal part seriously it's yeah. fun because I like Ryan Gosling and Anthony Hopkins and that's the hardest part with any kind of legal thriller is when you're a lawyer, it's hard to overlook the legal problems. So so what the movies I like the best for law are the ones that don't expect you to take the law seriously uh, like that. Or uh, my favorite legal movie actually is My Cousin Vinny. Yeah, I figured that was coming. it really has nothing to do with the law. It's a fish-out-of-water movie yep. about uh, you know a, an Italian guy from New York trying to, trying to defend a murder case in Alabama or wherever the hell they are. It's it's so it's so good uh, and, and so funny. And and uh, weirdly enough, though, um, they, they make a pretty good effort in that movie to try to stick to how proceedings actually work. Yep. Um, and they actually, some of the uh, expert testimony is taken from an actual automobile case. Um, so, so that part's realistic. The, the part that's super not realistic is uh, the judge uh, arbitrarily... Um, uh, refusing to uh, allow a rebuttal witness, um, <laughs> I think he, he the, the 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 defense or the prosecution voir dire's uh, Mona Lisa, I think is her name. Uh, um, oh shoot, who's the actress that plays her? I, I literally have not seen my cousin Vinny. I never you have. haven't seen. I've it? never seen it. Well, I haven't seen Twelve Angry Men, so we're <laughs> even. Um, uh, Marissa Tomei, uh, she has a scene where she's being voir dire as an expert witness because she just happens to be in the gallery, and and the judge allows that to go forward, and uh, and th- that would just never happen. Or yeah. There's another scene where uh, um, the the prosecutor introduces an expert witness who was never previously disclosed, and uh, and uh, um, uh, the uh, Vinny character says, "Well, I, this isn't fair. I should get a chance to voir dire him, d- depose him, and and get my own expert to counter his testimony." The judge says, "No, <laughs> it would never work. You yeah. would you would absolutely lose on appeal on that." So. Yeah, what, I will mention, I was talking about my favorite movies. I will mention what I actually think is my favorite scene, and I joke about it when we did this. I actually saw the movie when I was in law school, um, uh, Devil's Advocate. And it has one of my favorite scenes in it, and it's when the uh, the individual who's interviewing for a job goes in and meets the managing partners of the firm he's going to be working for, who you know is the 
devil's advocate, and yeah. that's the whole sort of joke because it turns into a bit of a horror movie and sort of suspense movie at the end. But they go around the table and they introduce themselves in their practice areas, and one of the attorneys is the head of the IP department, <laughs> which is one of those things that you know I just had to cheer like when I saw this with a bunch of my law school friends because that's not something you commonly see in no. sort of a mass market movie like that, where they'd actually mention sort of a, the intellectual property department being on a management a managing partner. So that's always one of been one of my sort of favorite scenes. Again, not a particularly good movie. I'll tell you that as to what it is. It's I love the premise and it just didn't well execute it. <laughs> not too bad. Okay, well, there's the music and it's time to go. If you have questions, comments, or topic ideas, you can send your thoughts to us on Twitter at LGGpod or email us at LGGpodcast at gmail.com. You can also talk to us on our Facebook page, search for Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, and find us there. You can subscribe to this podcast, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a review. We really appreciate the reviews. It helps other people find us. You can also find me on Twitter at Benjamin Siders and Kirk at KirkDMN. So next time, I believe the topic is going to be... Uh, Cyborgs? We're moving of? further yeah. and from, moving from some themed weddings to themed people. Yeah, so we're going to talk about uh, the IP as applied to body art. Uh, this is, can be as, as innocuous as tattoos, but it gets into more um, uh, more interesting topics as well. Yeah, we're going to get into cyborgs. So uh, that's coming up next time. You won't want to miss it. Uh, so uh, that's all for now. Lorem, play us out. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded at Cool Fire Studios in St. Louis, Missouri. 